Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lizenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. How are you doing today, Kristen? I'm wonderful. Thank you for asking. And oh so excited because today we are talking about word witchery. I think we always knew that we would do an episode about the word witch at some point. But as more emails kept coming in asking us to expand on this part of the craft, it became pretty evident that we should do an episode on word witchery sooner rather than later. Which is perfect because I could talk about the subject forever and also probably will. <laughs> Same here. I just finished writing the ritual for Tamed Wild's February box. And I don't want to give too much away because I know that some people like it to be a surprise. But a good part of the ritual is an exercise in word witchery. So yeah, I think we both have a lot to say about this subject. I'm excited to read it. Also, you and I are doing some word witchery together for the February box, which I'm super excited about. Yes, me too. I can't wait until we can share a little more about it, but it's something that we have put so much love into, so I hope that everyone who gets the February box will be able to feel that. So, the word witches. Who are they? What is the source of their magic? And where can we find them? So much to say. Let's dive in. When I sat down to write this episode, one very famous quote by Margaret Atwood kept coming to mind, and that is, a word after a word after a word is power. And we all know that feeling, right? When you read a book or a poem or an article that hits just right, like it was written with you in mind. To me, that's word witchery at its finest. I was a writer long before I was a witch. Or maybe I should say before I realized that I was a witch. I was an avid reader as a child, and I still am. And I think I wrote my first story when I was about 10 or so. But it wasn't until I went to Cal Poly, where I studied modern language and literature, that I fell in love with the literary genre, magical realism. For anyone who may not be super familiar with this type of writing, magical realism is when supernatural elements are introduced into a story, but they're not seen as magical. They're normal. One of my favorite books is the beloved novel by Isabel Allende, House of the Spirits, followed closely by A Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabrielle Garcia Marquez. These books are impossible to summarize quickly because both stories take place over several generations, but they both suggest that magic was once a very real part of society. Over time, people essentially just forgot and stopped practicing, and that's how magic lost its power and became a thing of myth. 
I'm adding both of those to my very long book list right now. Good. That makes me very happy. They are a commitment, though. So much symbolism. I think I need to reread them myself. It's been a while. Like both of us, and likely many of our listeners, I've always had an interest in magic, witches, the idea that there is so much more to this world than what we can see with our eyes. And I think magical realism showed me that there was a place for this type of thinking within the writing community. And even though it was new to me, it had been around for a very long time. It's really interesting that you use uh, language surrounding the eyes, because to me, you're my witch friend who is the most talented at looking beyond and past the eyes. Um, And we talk so much about scrying and dreams and divination. And so even just in your word witchery in that last paragraph, like I I just hear that. (laughs) Well, thank you. That's probably one of the best compliments I have ever received. So thank you. But looking back, perhaps my challenge wasn't so much actually doing these things, especially when it came to lucid dreaming and sort of having these really interesting dream experiences, but in realizing that they were special, it took me a while to understand that dreams were a doorway for me and that I could use dreams alongside my writing to bring this magic into reality. Because when you write about things whatever they may be, you give them life. Absolutely. And sometimes I think about those basic spells we were even saying as kids that gave us power or life um, that felt simple at the time. But what was it? I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. Like, remember the power that that held? Absolutely. I mean, how could I forget? I think kids are very influenced by the power of words, which is something I admire about them. Yes. I should probably clarify that not all word witches write about magic. Kate and I are so grateful that we get to create side-by-side with our fellow witches at Tamed Wild and write about mythology and history and ritual. But to me, the word witch is anyone who picks up a pen and paper sets an intention, and is open to recording whatever comes through. This seemingly mundane task is not mundane to the word witch. It's from this ritual that they source and exercise their power. And of course, not every person who writes will refer to themselves as a word witch. But if you feel that your purpose lies in telling stories, expressing yourself through the written word, Or if a big part of your witchcraft practice involves putting pen to paper, you might be a word witch. Witchcraft is such a broad practice, but I tend to believe that all witches are creatrixes. They paint, they make herbal tinctures, they nurture seeds and watch them sprout into plants, which in turn share their healing properties with us. Witches also make and care for children. They play music, they craft, they weave. And the word witches, they write. I think the reason that witchcraft and writing go so well together is partially due to the word witch's relationship with solitude. Any creator, word witch or not, will tell you that their big breakthroughs happen during these solitary moments. Creativity demands solitude. I think Virginia Woolf said it best when she said, In solitude, we give passionate attention to our lives, 
to our memories, to the details around us. Rilke has a similar line in Letters to a Young Poet when he's discussing developing one's craft. Um, and I think it's so beautiful. He, he wrote, um, Therefore, dear sir, love your solitude and try to sing out with the pain it causes you. For those who are near you are far away. And this shows that the space around you is beginning to grow vast. Be happy about your growth, in which, of course, you can't take anyone with you, and be gentle with those who stay behind. I think this is one of the first life-changing books that I ever read. It sounds beautiful, and definitely adding this to my reading list. (laughs) Book recommendations are my love language, so thank you. (laughs) But of course, solitude can be uncomfortable at times, almost distracting, which seems ridiculous, but anyone who has sat down and looked at a blank page knows that sometimes it can be anxiety-inducing. So that's where ritual comes into play. In ancient Greece, leaders believed that poetry, singing, and the arts in general were gifts from the gods. If you were blessed with artistic talent in any form, then that meant that the gods favored you and it would be wise to invoke and honor them before you start the creative process. I think the same is true today. Most word witches have some type of pre-writing ritual that they do, something that they truly believe, or maybe I should say they know, helps them focus, remember their intention, and zero in on the task at hand. I know that Kate and I are both fans of lighting a candle when we sit down to write, I have a Lilith spell candle burning right now. I was writing about the story of Lilith and Adam earlier today, and so it only seemed fitting to light a candle in her honor. But if I wasn't writing about her, I am particularly taken by Sashat, the Egyptian goddess of writing, astrology, dreaming, and keeper of the Akashic Records. And even if you're not drawn to deity worship in your practice— The candle can also represent our inner hearth fire, the spark of a new idea. It can also serve as a focal point, similar to how watching the flames of a campfire can be very meditative and even hypnotic. It sort of adds something magical to our environment. It creates ambiance. And for me, it also serves as a reminder of what I'm supposed to be doing. Procrastination is a very real threat as a writer or any creative person, And so when my candle is lit, it tells me to ignore the dishes in the sink, worry about your emails later, because now is my time to divine with the word witch. Another favorite word witch, Clarissa Pincola Estes, says, I've seen women insist on cleaning everything in the house before they could sit down to write. And you know, it's a funny thing about house cleaning. It never comes to an end. Perfect way to stop a woman. So Kate, when did you first realize that you were a word witch? I'm not sure the first time I called myself a word witch. I think at the time I was looking for language around my process in writing, which has always been very difficult for me to talk about. People would ask me, what kind of poems do you write? 
And I remember asking my mentor, Diane Seuss, for help, and she was like, mm, amorphous, ethereal, um, and tried to kind of help me shape some words around that. And while those felt really right to me, the act of writing them was still kind of disconnected from my consciousness. Um, I recently got this book called Datura, an anthology of esoteric poesis, and in the intro, called The Poetry of Magic, is written, Poetry is thought to have its origin in moments of intensity and exaltation, the best words in the best order, as Coleridge defined it, and naturally inclining toward the mystical or wondrous, which that is kind of similar to that Margaret Atwood quote as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's such a beautiful way to put it. I know that when I was younger and I would paint or write, that drive to create happened more frequently when I was emotional, Mm -hmm. whether I be happy or sad or angry. So when you say moments of intensity, I think a lot of us can relate to that. It's as if you're transmuting emotions into something tangible. Yeah, it's a type of alchemy of language or a different way to embody the intensity, allowing it to kind of move through you. Um, Di and I, we took this fellowship together after my freshman year of undergraduate at Pierce Cedar Creek Institute, which was probably one of my most favorite projects so far in my life. I basically just got to live on a nature institute during the summer and would commute back to Kalamazoo. I went to Kalamazoo College, where Di would help me work through these poems. And she really guided me to write this body of work about the wild woman and to voice the natural. So we talked a lot about Conrad Hilberry, who was Di's mentor, and his persona poems. And with Di's help, I really attempted to embody the different voices of what was wild on the Institute and bring their voices into poems. Um, For example, one day I had to help these snake researchers catch and tag rattlesnakes in a swamp. And so we just went out and we took pillowcases, tongs, boots, and buckets like into the tall grass and captured these snakes um, and took them back to a lab, which of course leads to all kinds of writing. Oh, definitely. I would love to read some of your words during that time. I know that it's always easy and sort of charming to look back on these experiences, but I'm sure that it wasn't without its challenges. Oh, totally. I'm I'm afraid of snakes, actually, which is strange. I also have <laughs> a very large snake tattoo, but they, yeah, they definitely are pretty um, alarming to my like central nervous system. So sure. it was an adventure, to say the least. But. Yeah. I also think at this time I was trying to process a lot that was happening to me, and I've always been emotionally driven, Um, but, you know, late teenage years, there's a lot to grapple with, and I think that wild intuition, my identity as a witch, and a word witch was really coming up then, and since then, I got to study my MFA at Sarah Lawrence, and I was lucky enough to kind of study with some fellow word witches. C.A. Conrad uh, came to Sarah Lawrence for a masterclass, and we learned together how to make poetry rituals, which was just an incredible workshop. So together we decided on the steps and the elements that needed to be added, and then we would enact them again and and again, returning to the act of writing. Uh, C.A. Conrad says about their somatic poetry rituals, 
Rituals can reconnect us to one another and the natural cycles of life and can help put an end to our alienation from the planet. I completely believe in the strength of poetry and I have experienced how the rituals for creating poems have the power to change us in ways we have yet to explore fully. I think in this, C.A. Conrad taught me about kind of making rules, for lack of a better word, for myself. So the rituals exist within a parameter, and moving through them, you're crafting, you're creating, and you're listening. Then there was also this workshop where this poet, Banu Kapil, came in and taught this amazing class. So it began with bringing earth in from outside and piling it on a table, We then stuck this small candle into the dirt and watched it burn out, Um, and Banu was basically like, the workshop may not begin until the candle burns out. And then we entered the workshop room, which we only referred to as a sea cave the whole day, and then made marks with charcoal and divined language and each other's messages through these markings. Um, Her book, Schizophrenia, is incredible, and it came from a manuscript that she threw out into the snow in frustration, rediscovered in the spring once all of the snow had melted, and then from its fragments and words that she found, she created a whole new book. I love this imagery, not only because it sounds so fascinating and beautiful, but because I think it shows that nobody's practice has to look like anybody else's. Tradition takes a backseat when intuition and imagination take over. Yeah, that's exactly it. When I'm talking with people about different rituals, you know, we can offer each other suggestions. And there are, of course, our time-honored traditions. But I think what both C.A. Conrad and Banu Kapil's work really gestures towards is that sort of creativity and well of tapping into your own intuition and imagination, like you're saying. I also um, recently came into this book called Essays in Divinatory Poetics by Sela Satterstrom, and it's the series of poems that were channeled over the course of 16 years. Um, and in the intro, the Clara Donato, who I don't know who that is, but um, this person says that what Satterstrom does with the book is similar to what C.D. Wright, who's another poet, calls storytelling's capability to translate the world back into tongues. And in this book, Satterstrom refers to Rachel Pollock, the writer, scholar, and diviner, who says, Divination and gambling's relationship is based on an Egyptian myth in which the goddess Newt is pregnant with five new gods, Seth, Osiris, Isis, Napathus and Horus. But she's been forbidden by her husband Ra, the sun god, to give birth on any day of any month of the year because she became pregnant through an affair. Newt, of course, wants to give birth, so she goes to Thoth for help. And what's interesting is that instead of using magic or compelling force or even theft of power from Ra, Thoth gambles with the moon and wins one seventy-second of each day, producing five new days out of a year that had previously been 260 days. The 360-day year is an allegory for a fixed cycle. Nothing can change, everything is predictable, Thoth's gamble makes the circle open up, and something new becomes possible. 
So to me, when we're divining, we're channeling, we're writing, we're making something new possible. And writing takes commitment, right? Like I know when I'm at my best, I'm showing up to that space, that altar of my own words. And just like with magic and spellcasting, that act needs dedication and intention. Language is so powerful. I think what you just said is so powerful and yet so often overlooked. You mentioned that word witchery, like all magic, takes intention and dedication. And consistency is key. I think of Ray Bradbury, the legendary author of Fahrenheit 451, Mm -hmm. and Something Wicked This Way Comes, when he said, you only fail if you stop writing. Yes, Di, my mentor who I mentioned earlier, told me that she believed the only key to being a writer was persistence, and that the people she knew who were still writing were just the ones who hadn't given up. Yeah, I agree with that. Other than the writers and authors that we've already mentioned today, who are your favorite word witches? Man, something I love so much about this episode is that we've brought so many others' voices in, which feels just so word witch potent. Mm -hmm. But I also love uh, Ariana Rines. She wrote this book called A Sand Book that's very cool. Pam Grossman did a beautiful book with Tin Can Forest, I believe, that's called What is a Witch? And then she has her longer book, Waking the Witch. I'm a huge fan. I also use Many Moons. Uh, It's a planner by Sarah Gottesteiner every day. And I'm starting an apprenticeship with Robin Rose Bennett in March. And she's a green witch, but I've also read her books, which are stunning. And so I reckon that she's a word witch, too. But then there's also the language and the word witchery of my younger years, which is books like Wise Child by Monica Furlong, Anything by Tamara Pierce, series like The Unicorns of Balamore or Bruce Coville, anything to do with Avalon. I seriously just love so many books and word witches. I could go on for forever. But I remember being in middle school and writing Bruce Coville a letter, and he wrote me back with the unreleased chapter of his next unicorn story, and I've never been so blessed in my whole life. <laughs> what about you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, Well, you've already mentioned Clarissa Pinkola Estes, Mm -hmm. who has such an amazing way with words. I would imagine that most of our listeners have read Women Who Run With the Wolves, but if you haven't, please do yourself Mm -hmm. a favor and read it. Life-changing. I also love Demetra George, um, in particular her book, Mysteries of the Dark Moon. She has some great viewpoints on the dark goddess archetype and really explores the more misunderstood goddesses like Lilith, Medusa, Mm -hmm. and Persephone. And while I don't think that they would call themselves witches (laughs) whatsoever, the words of Carl Jung carry a lot of weight in my eyes, and also Charles F. Honnell, Mm -hmm. who wrote The Master Key System, which was such an influential book when I was diving really deep into my meditation and visualization practice. There's also a great text by Susan Pesnecker called Crafting Magic with Pen and Ink for anyone who wants more of a step-by-step approach of word witchery. As I'm listing these, I'm realizing that we could have an entire episode dedicated to book (laughs) recommendations and reviews. Um, Yeah. Maybe one day. Message us and tell us your favorites. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
So when you have a day or two off and you can write or create whatever you want, what shape does your word witchery take? Is it poetry, journaling, or something else? Hmm. That's a great question. I think my most favorite way to write is to create little rituals like C.A. Conrad suggests. Last year, every day, my partner, Cody, would text me who the artist of the day was on WFMU, which is a radio station, I think, based out of New Jersey. Um, And I would make up a poem, basically, around that. When I was on a writing residency, staying in a chicken coop in a holler in Knoxville at Sundress Academy for the Arts this October, I would play this game every morning where I just had to write the first things that came into my mind for 15 minutes. And then things really start showing up when you ask for them, which may sound basic, but I woke up one morning and there was a six-point buck staring in the window of the coop. Another morning, I woke up and a wolf spider as large as my hand crawled across my lap. And I just, I don't really believe in coincidences. You sent me a picture of that spider. It was both terrifying and beautiful at the same time. Like it felt perfectly safe just crawling right into your bed. Yeah, way too safe. Uh, I hate to say it, but I think we're pretty much out of time. So do you have any parting words for the word witches or aspiring word witches listening today? Hmm. Well, um, I send out weekly prompts to people on my newsletter list. I write to them line by line prompts, like in the first line, do this, then make this move, etc. And I've found these to be really helpful for folks just starting. Um, I started making prompts in this form because I was talking to my friend Casey and she was like, well, I don't really understand the structure of a poem and how to move within it. And this was a huge realization for me. I was like, this is a reflex for me, but to teach someone a landscape or to give them a frame to channel into, that's really helpful. And it can be a game. Like I think Starhawk talks a little bit about ritual being playful. And I love that. So You can go online and use random word generators. You can co-create a poem with a friend. You can make ulipos that don't use the letter E or F or whatever you decide anywhere. Things like this, and it can look kind of however you want it to. What about you? I guess I would say just write. It doesn't matter what it is. Get a journal or a notebook and just write a few sentences about your day something you saw, what you dreamt about last night, the phase of the moon, the weather, a conversation you overheard, a quote, it doesn't matter. Even in the moment, if what you're writing feels pointless, I can't tell you how many times I have looked through old notebooks sort of seeking inspiration, and ideas that seemed like nothing at the time will trigger a sort of emotional response which, as we talked about earlier, triggers the creative aspect of the psyche. I don't really know how to explain it, but I think that sometimes when we're in the moment, we can't see the magic around us. But if we have the patience and dedication to endure, our creation will take on a new life. Our words carry so much weight. So just be kind to yourself, light a candle, and keep writing. Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. 
You can find us online, K8Blue, and at East and Alchemy. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram, at tamedwild, or on the blog, magicandalchemy.com. Join us for next week's episode, where we explore the stories and rituals surrounding Imbolc. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be, or something better. Until next time.